This is Reimagining Higher Education, your go-to podcast with remarkable education leaders sharing personal stories from their experience in and around the sector, including reflection and hope for progress in the sector. With your host, Professor Judith Sachs, former PVC Learning and Teaching at the University of Sydney, Deputy Vice-Chancellor and Provost at Macquarie University, and Special Advisor in Higher Education at KPMG, and now Chief Academic Officer at Studiosity. Welcome. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Professor Duncan Bentley, the Vice-Chancellor and President of Federation University. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Duncan last year at a Wattle uh, workshop, and um, I heard his story. And um, rather than my telling uh, the story and introducing you, Duncan, can you just briefly tell us how you got to be where you are now? And then when you've done that, I also ask you if you would bring an object that represents your uh, journey as a leader and a learner. So over to you. Thank you, Judith. Um, well, I was uh, very fortunate in growing up uh, in Africa sometime in the last century. We won't say when. And um, it was it was a fascinating uh, childhood where I um, lived in various countries across Africa, mainly on farms and in um, in the Okavango for uh, a few years as well, which uh, uh, gave me exposure to rural, regional, remote living in in the fullest sense of the word. I had to fly to boarding school and things like that, and so the. Uh, challenges of someone who is trying to learn and get their education uh, when you're not connected or close to a city was one aspect. However, I do think that um, one, one of the great things that I learned was the resilience and um, uh, self-sufficiency that one needs uh, in those sorts of environments. And that stood me in good stead right through my career. And um, I was uh, my my undergraduate um, journey was started at the University of Cape Town. I was uh, in Zimbabwe at the time and and flew down to um, to Cape Town as an international student. Now that was fascinating in itself. And uh, it, uh, Central and Southern Africa, East Central Southern Africa, were a maelstrom of. Um, uh, political activity during during the period of my, my my growing up and apartheid was still in in place and so Cape Town was a fascinating place I must admit I didn't do nearly enough study because there was so much more interesting um, things going on and not only coming from a very rural environment to a big city and and absolutely enjoying what all students do when they get to such places, but um, also in that environment, being taught by some of the leaders in the anti-apartheid movement, uh, many of whom went on to to uh, very uh, important roles. But uh, I mean, Dennis Davis, uh, who who became a judge on the Constitutional Court, um, uh, surprisingly taught me tax, and uh, I think it was his inspiration of of being both a public lawyer and also a tax lawyer, which. Um, was my model, and we both followed uh, a similar course, although I haven't ended up on the court, um, which I think is uh, probably much to my relief. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's really interesting looking back and seeing the, those figures and what an impact they had and how much it's the external components of your education which really bring to life who you are and uh, it, uh, I wasn't a particularly diligent student at all at that stage. And um, 
then um, because apartheid was still in full flow and Mugabe was in full flow in Zimbabwe, I then went to the UK where I, um, um, after a period of um, um, sort of wandering about, uh, I, I we got married uh, in, um, I married a, a fellow um, UCT person who was also Zimbabwean before we left. And that's often what happens at uh, university and uh, I have lifelong friends from that period which is wonderful so the sense of belonging and engagement you have with people is so important and um, I, I noticed going as an international student um, uh, to London that it it was probably less engaging than one of the uh, um, other campuses if I'd gone to uh, one of the smaller cities um, uh, Durham, Edinburgh, Oxford, Cambridge, or whatever. But uh, London was, a, a, again, a fascinating mel melting pot of people. And in those days, you were allowed to do a, um, a master's degree at many different colleges uh, across the University of London. And so I picked courses where, again, you had really inspiring people who um, were on um, the uh, uh, courts, uh, leading human rights organizations, doing fascinating things in the law which went well beyond just uh, black letter law and uh, that that was a, a major part of my my education i don't think that there was nearly the sense of student belonging in a master's environment that there would have been at a smaller place and certainly that is something that today we're noticing so as we're coming out of covid everyone is so focused um, now on trying to regain that sense of belonging, that sense of purpose, that sense of meaning. It's not something which is new. We've always had it as human beings. And um, I'm so grateful that I did have it as part of my my degrees. Um, and then um, I went, uh, um, I, I discovered there weren't that many jobs for human rights lawyers. Um, and so um, I was offered a, a job in the city um, to study taxation law. And um, uh, as a chartered accountant with one of the big, uh, then it was the big eight, now it's the big four. And I found that a fascinating experience. Uh, I never thought that I'd become a, uh, a tax lawyer, but actually the creativity and innovation uh, in, in that, I found absolutely inspiring. And um, uh, over time, uh, because um, uh, we had our first child and we found that, uh, uh, bundling up a child uh, into Eskimo suits for six months of the year wasn't exactly what we had in mind for a, a childhood where we had grown up in um, uh, in a very much more uh, equatorial environment. And uh, so Australia was warm, democratic and uh, uh, beckoning. And so it came to Australia. And then after a few years in um, in practice, uh, one of the one of the really telling moments for me was um, it would have been a fabulous career. I would have thoroughly enjoyed it. However, when um, I saw the hours worked and that you were actually talking to your children quite often by phone in the morning and evening, because that was the only time you actually got to see them, I decided that wasn't the lifestyle I wanted. So I moved um, to uh, to the university sector. I chose Bond University, which was just starting and uh, the newspapers were saying that it was doomed to failure at the time. There were all sorts of uh, things, but uh, I, I always love a challenge and that's probably a, 
a theme of, of my career because it's not an orthodox career or an orthodox background by any stretch of the imagination. But um, it uh, it really, my, my life has been a series of accidental events, I think, which have led me to my my current role and so that that tells any aspiring leaders never never worry about too much about following an orthodox hierarchical regulatory um, regulated uh, progress to where you want to go because quite often there's much more fun to be had along the way you never know if you're any good you might be might fall into exciting things and so i started a bond and um, loved <clears throat> the environment so focused on students and um, ensuring the student experience. And over the last 30 years or so, they've retained that. And that was one of the um, one of the things which absolutely was front and center of my mind there. And it's followed me as I've moved to other wonderful universities across the public sector, um, Curtin and uh, Victoria University, Swinburne University. And then I was absolutely delighted uh, to um, be offered the role here because it takes me back to my regional, rural, remote roots. And there is such uh, a fabulous opportunity here uh, for, for a leader. So I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to come to Federation. It's been quite a journey. So can you um, show us your um, object? So um, I have here, um, let's see how... There we go. Oh, yes. That's uh, a penguin. It's a little porcelain penguin. Mm -hmm. So the origin of that was that um, wherever I've been, for some reason, I, I've fallen into spots where we're always needing change. I don't know. Anyone would think that the world was going through change periodically. But um, in university sector, the university sector, change has been a, an absolute constant the reason for the penguin is that um, uh, John Cotter, who's one of the uh, leaders on strategy and change um, from the US and internationally, had a wonderful book called um, My Iceberg is Melting. And um, he he focused on, on, on how you lead change. And just the whole storyline of a group of penguins who were stuck on an iceberg and then discovered that it was melting and what on earth were they going to do? And just the process of that story I used in um, several of my change programs. And when I left uh, Curtin, I was presented by my staff with the, uh, with the penguins. So it rather told me that uh, that was what they saw as um, the, one of the major features of my leadership is always to um, to to bring change, to embrace change, and to take wherever I am leading on a journey of change. But uh, I hope uh, always to do so to um, to lead to a, an optimistic and better future. Well, that that gives me the opportunity now to dig down into some more aspects of that story that you've told. And as a lawyer you bring a particular set of skills to the task of leading and learning. So in terms of your own experience as a student, both as a, you know, an undergraduate student, then as a master's student, then a PhD student, and then even as a teacher, what, what do you bring from your training as a lawyer into your teaching and into student learning? I, I, I suppose um, 
the thing is, if you if you if you are looking whatever whatever branch or field of the law, um, what you have to do in order when you're taking on a case or a problem or an issue um, to solve um, is uh, you you have to really understand the context, and that, that that's why I love the law, and that's why I love tax because it impacts on every aspect of everybody's life, and so. It's never boring because you will always be meeting new people who have new problems which they need to solve. And you can come with your boilerplate template, um, but whatever, it, it, it won't work. You have to really understand and, and explore what, who, who, who are you talking to? What is their context? What are their dreams, ambitions, aspirations? How can you help them to reach the fulfillment of what, what their aspiration is. And it's the same to my mind, whether you're leading staff or whether you are um, uh, for the students, the student experience should be one where you are facilitating their learning journey. I've never really been um, particularly uh, um, impressed with the concept of university being a destination. Uh, yes, it's wonderful to go somewhere, but then it's a bit like... Um, um, some elite sports people, um, who, whom um, several of whom I have taught, and um, it is really trying for them to plan what happens after I finish my career. Was it all over when I retired or got an injury? And, and in a sense, uh, if if your university education and experience is is the end of it, well, well what what's the point of that for a student? We've got to help them to to um, think of what their passion, what their dream is, and how to facilitate them um, achieving that. And, and that's the beauty of being uh, an academic, is that uh, we're in environments which are always innovating, learning. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges we have uh, uh, today in Australia as a country, but also in, in academia, is, is, is that we, that is... There is so much suppression of that in favor of regulation. Um, so uh, being a lawyer has been tremendously helpful in helping me to always think creatively, stand in the other person's shoes and see, well, how, how can I add value? What can we do to solve what your ambition is to achieve? You also talked about your own experience um, of having inspiring teachers. Can you, what, what was it about these teachers that made them inspiring? And you also sort of alluded in a modest way that that was what you wanted to be. You wanted to be an inspiring teacher, but also an inspiring colleague. So what, what did it look like for you as a student, but also what did it look like for you as a teacher? Well, in addition to, to the empathy and personalization in that, which, I mean, those are just words as it were, but the reality is that we want as human beings to be known for who we are and to be seen and recognized, whether we're teaching or whether we're students. And that, and that that's a, a critical element and why I love in a regional uh, university uh, like mine that we we have the smaller groups, the smaller classes. We are teaching um, people who quite often have not had um, the access to uh, the sort of education that you would have in the middle of Sydney, Melbourne, or whatever. 
And it's, it's well recognized that the gap between um, city students, and so I'll use Victoria and the middle of Melbourne compared even with our campus at Berwick, out of, out of Metro, and then the further you go out, be somewhere between 10 and 20% less um, engagement with post-secondary education uh, than you would have if you were in the, the centre of the city. And it isn't because those of us who are from the country are dumber or anything like that. It's, it, it, is, it is based on opportunity. And if you look at the schools in the... Um, in the outer regions, and I went to very small schools growing up, so so I've lived this experience where you don't have a maths teacher or you don't have a science teacher. Um, how how can we how can we provide pathways get out to the schools so that students in year nine and ten and eleven, which should start from early childhood, um, all the way through, are given more access to to um, the the vehicle to give life to their aspiration, because if you don't know that these things exist, you can't aspire, uh, aspire to them. And so, so it goes more deeply than just having another maths teacher. It goes to opening up the world. Now, each of the students who come from the outer regional areas will, as I did, bring huge life experience, which is of significant benefit. So bringing those experiences into the classroom and into the learning environment and then trying to assist people to 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 both open their minds and then achieve an ambition which they didn't know that they might have had is is something which is um, really important and it goes not only to students but also also, also to staff to all of us in any of our roles and uh, we we all want that constant growth and fulfillment and purpose. And the wonderful thing about education as a sector is that we have such a powerful purpose because we are supporting the future, not only of young people, those who are retraining, but of of of, this, of society. And so um, I, um, I I can't think of a, um, a greater honor than to be leading an organization which is its purpose is to support those groups of people. And uh, I, th I think it is that personalization, but it is also in giving giving life to the aspiration. How do we change the way we do things so we don't just bring the same old things that have been done for generations? and apply them here and say, well, this is what higher education or post-secondary education is. What is the future and how do we change our sector to be able to respond to that so we can relate not only to, to, to the learners, but also the staff who are living, living learners themselves. And uh, I, I, I think uh, so often we have a sclerotic uh, situation where we impose regulation, which restricts us. Uh, to uh, and cuts out imagination. So, just to elaborate that a little bit more, what what do you see the purpose then of a university education, both for students, communities, and the nation? It it depends. It depends on what university you are, because we we talk about universities as though we're all exactly the same. And yes, the funding is the same. And yes, a lot of the degrees are the same. But actually, the local context is significantly different. 
And so the, the critical element for an institution, this is what worries me a little bit about the single regional university, is my um, communities in the Wimmera are so different from the community in Ararat, in Ballarat, in Berwick, Casey, Cardinia, Dandenong, and then you go out to Gippsland. And even within Gippsland, you then have further out the, the, the small communities, and each of them have particular contexts, often driven by the, um, the climate, the circumstances, uh, the industries, uh, what, what those communities have as their history, which you've got to understand in order to be able to see what their future might be. And um, and and I think that uh, the the more a university can become embedded in that, not only understanding the current, but also helping the community as the catalyst to realize the future of where they can go. And we'll be doing it as universities in different ways, right across uh, the country in different situations, different parts of different cities. But it. That 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 is the future of um, um, of Australia, and uh, I I think it's uh, critically important that we do do that. And I suppose this is where the the big thing that I have always focused on is the connection between um, pre university through university into future work and employment as a lifelong continuum, and. Yes, there may be people who are of independent means who don't need to work. And yes, you go to university and the whole purpose is just to um, spend time uh, cogitating. But actually, it, uh, the, often the argument is binary and it suggests that those of us who are training, uh, who, who, who are helping people learn and train for a profession are somehow not criti thinking critically, are not thinking creatively, cannot um, articulate um, very well. Well, the, the the reality is that our engineers, whether they are working in the port of sale, whether they're working in the Wimmera, need all of those um, uh, skills. If I go to a nurse and I'm um, ha having a major operation, whether I'm uh, in the Wimmera in, in Berwick or, or, or uh, in, in Gippsland or Ballarat, um, the the level of um, intelligence and creativity and critical thinking you need in that situation in order to be able to help me as a patient with my personal circumstances, that needs to be brought into the learning process. It's only um, really in the latter part of the last century that we said that um, essentially if you want to go into a profession, you've got to go to a university and it was a bit of a snobbery thing. Um, I come from a, a family of um, accountants, lawyers, uh, physiotherapists, all sorts of things. And very few of them did anything other than do their exams in the university. They were based in um, where they were working. And, uh, and the more we can integrate the two so that the idea that work is somehow intellectually devoid of, of interest is, I mean, I mean, it's just a furphy. The future of the world depends on us actually bringing the university into the community, into all of its aspects and into our workplaces. So, I mean, in, in telling your story, um, you've had the international, you've had the experience of an international student. You've had the experience of um, 
having the opportunity to have fun as a student in, at UCT. Uh, you also had the opportunity to, as a, as a PhD student, to, to, to go through that, that lonely journey, but with supportive people around you. So what, what is important to you as an educator, as represent, and, and what have you taken from your experience in creating this amalgam of, you know, the identity of an educator? So, so really, um, I, I suppose the, the learning journey starts, and that, that's why early childhood is so important, in, in that you're learning the basic skills of life and how to live and work in society. I don't have any special skills as an educator other than being um, a curious, creative, hopefully empathetic human being. That's a really good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you just take that into, into, into every situation. Now, one of the things... I, I think the creativity and innovation is absolutely critical because that's the university in particular as a, as an educator, as, as a PhD student, as, as, as a researcher, uh, as, as a, um, um, an educator and facilitator of learning, unless you're embracing the future and trying to make sense of it such that you don't have to come up with the answers, but if you can co-create the answers, if you can curate it so that you can have a facilitated discussion and learning process with your fellow learners, some might be far less experienced, but that 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 I see as the uh, the crux of what I'm trying to achieve. We're about to start a new academic year. Um, some ambiguity, certainly a lot of fluidity. What are the challenges and opportunities that you see you being able to uh, deliver um, beginning this year? I won't say that they will finish this year, but they will certainly begin this year. Um, I think I, I think the 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 challenges I've articulated to some degree already in terms of um, trying to move post COVID, which seems uh, seems still to have. I mean, I mean, if you think of it, so many of our learners are still reflecting the uh, the period where they did do fully online learning. You see that in the downturn in the domestic student enrollments this year, which is, uh, um, I think, exacerbated by the fact that the economy is so strong, and so traditionally it's so so much more uh, so much easier to go and get a job and then buy your car and then set yourself up before you decide what you want to do. And certainly uh, the discussions we're having with inquiring students, with deferring students, is that I'm not 100% sure what I want to do yet, and I want to just go and discover myself a little bit. Now, we used to do that quite often at university, um, and perhaps because of the rigid hierarchy and prescriptive um, accreditation requirements, uh, uh, that 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 we've imposed as we try to stuff more and more into the curriculum. Um, I'm trying to work with my uh, my team to to take that out, so we've got much more room to explore and to to be able to move easily and seamlessly without wasting a year because we've got some hierarchical progress that you've got to do. Um, I th I think that that is a challenge at the moment. The other one is um, while um, the the accord is a, uh, a great thing to be doing 
I don't think it's going to solve anything quickly, mainly because uh, both um, state and uh, federal governments are um, struggling. My own state is struggling perhaps more than most in terms of funding. Um, and um, the, the reality is we haven't had infrastructure funding for, for a long time. We have still got many of us um, deficits which are flowing through from uh, from the COVID because you had the exit year by year of students without fill it, refilling the bucket, starting to refill the bucket, as it were. And so our move to creating surpluses for us to reinvest in teaching and learning and infrastructure is, uh, is going to be a very lean couple of years um, unless you happen to uh, be one of the significantly... Um, surplus heavy universities which are generally in the uh, in the larger cities um so that's why the accord has said well what are you going to do to maintain regional universities as sustainable but i think that that will come we'll need to be um, looking very carefully at who we are what we do and how we respond to to the environment we need to serve our communities we also need to realize that um the world world has changed and we must respond to that change within what we are doing. It isn't always um, possible to have a big bucket of money which says, oh, well, we're going to do a major change. What we'll do is everybody else will carry on as they are while another group over here will, will create the changes and we'll, we'll put them in later. We've got to um, fly the plane and do the repairs at the same time. But um, oh, it was ever thus. So you will be welcoming students in the next couple of weeks. What, what advice will you give those new students who have coming to university, for many of them first in family, mm -hmm. uh, for many of them mature age students, many of them actually not even coming to, st uh, to uh, study on campus, but what advice can you give them so that, and you use the word um, about belonging, you use the words about success, but you also use the language of balance. And that's, and you, and, and you talk about balance in your own life. So the, the second question after that, and I'll remind you of this, what advice would you give to your younger self? But what advice would you give to the next, the, the current generation of students? Well, I did um, uh, a small welcome uh, to um, a large group of nursing students um, yesterday morning and it was wonderful to see them uh, most this was into the second year of nursing because they'd done um, they were enrolled uh, nurses and they're moving to registered nursing which in the regional areas is absolutely so important for us and uh, so many of them are uh, more mature age many of them have families uh, many of them um, are having to work and study or most all of them pretty much work and study at the same time we're uh, juggling the responsibilities and and you're you're absolutely right the 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 critical thing is to um my staff is absolutely wonderful and it was it came across in the orientation session to a person they were saying my door is open if you need support come and see me but what each of us said was, you know, the really important thing is that you create the friendships, the networks, the peer support, because uh, th there's quite a bit of research which is coming out as we uh, as we speak across the globe, 
which is which is showing that that is the glue which binds people to university. And we're talking about attrition. When when you balance is wonderful if you have um, uh, the capacity to have balance. If if you've chosen to learn and you're working and you're balancing family, six thousand of our students are caregivers. It it is the more support we can give to help them find the balance and to be able to navigate through what is often a very daunting journey because they have come not from a family where this is the norm to go to institute to 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 university. Um, I, th I think that, that is that's our, our our biggest task as we start building the blocks to give them the resilience and the, the the tools to face life and not only face, but conquer life, embrace it and and build on the opportunity which will make Australia a much, um, much better place in the future. And so thinking about the young Duncan and the young Duncan that made a decision to uh, leave Zimbabwe, leave South Africa, what advice would you give the young Duncan now with your experience and your own personal success? Probably to not wait as long to do what my uh, parents always said that I should do and that challenge the status quo. And um, however, what they did say, in which I, I've, I've always tried to do, but quite often when you're moving into a new society, you're, you're constrained by the strictures within that society and to to look for the innovation and creativity different ways of doing things to to embrace the future and change one of the i think the most unfortunate things about australian society is for all of our can do um purportedly laid back attitude um the evidence suggests that we are one of the most overregulated societies in the world we're one of the richest. Um, we um, are so frightened of so many things that we regulate because we're scared that there might be some impact here or there. We never take away the regulation. And so the, the law books just keep on growing and growing and growing. And, um, and you see that uh, within universities. And what I, what um, I mean, I mean, my dream is to, is, um, to, to be able to encourage people to challenge that, break down those barriers and refine the vitality of, of, um, of a society and where, where we are free to be able to create and innovate and work together to do so. Now, obviously we need regulations, I'm a lawyer, um, that, that's my, my job, but I think it must be a much more principled approach. And I think that I was, as a young person, probably too ready to accept the status quo as it was, because that's what it is. Whereas the reality is that uh, as you get older, you know that you can upset anything. Duncan, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And, and as you were talking, I realised that Federation University is actually Victoria, the University for Victoria. And that University for, for Victoria has so many challenges, so many opportunities. And I look forward to observing how they're managed, but also how they're delivered, because I think that uh, being a leader in a rural and regional university 
is both exciting but enormously challenging. So I wish you a great 2024 and look forward to seeing you at Universities Australia. Thank you very much, Judith, and really enjoyed the conversation. You have been listening to Studiosity's podcast, Reimagining Higher Education, candid conversations within higher education, sharing stories of leadership, change, and best practice in teaching and learning. Visit studiosity.com.